This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Whatever your big is, embrace that and be bold about it. And I became bold about it. And now I have a clothing line for curvy women. I'm an advocate for body positivity and health. And that's what Big, Bold, and Beautiful is all about. Own it. This is Where You're From, a podcast for those who believe it's important to stop and listen before we speak. Join us as we ask another Christian thought leader where you're from and discover how their life experiences and expertise, even if we may disagree with something they say, offer us an important perspective that's worth thinking about. Welcome to Where You're From. I'm Russell Berry. At one point in our lives, we've all felt rejected. Maybe someone rejected us for our loud voice, our bold opinions or maybe because of how we look. Rejection is tough, and it can cause us to question ourselves and ask, is this who God truly made me to be? Today, I'm talking with someone who teaches us to embrace our big, bold, and beautiful selves. Kiara Shear Kelly is an award-winning gospel singer, songwriter, fashion designer, actress, entrepreneur, author, and much more. She created the clothing brand 1160, to, in her words, empower self-confidence for curvy women. She is the author of Big, Bold, and Beautiful, Owning the Woman God Made You to Be. Let's learn more about Kiara Shear Kelly as I ask her, where you're from? Where am I from? Detroit, Michigan. Mm -hmm. I'm a city girl. I am also in the suburbs now. Okay. I'm from my parents, Bishop J. Drew Shear, Karen Clark Shear. I am their seed. Let me just ask you, because you're from Motown. The Motown. Right? How did growing up in Motown shape you? Oh, man. It's definitely challenged me to be strong. Even just the city <laughs> itself. The weather changes. But to answer your question, the city has trained me. And, of course, the city of Detroit, Motown, it's molded me to be strong, to be focused, to not let people tell me no, especially when you're clear of God's purpose. It also comes from my church development, my raising, mm-hmm. my Bible development. Yeah. And then Motown, like you said, you got some heavy hitters, mm-hmm. not just in the R&B genre, but in gospel. Like you had the Winans, the Clark Sisters. Vanessa Barrel Armstrong, Jay Moss, Deidre Catton. Mm. You can go on and on. These are yes. like game changers in gospel music. Yes. So it's like, what you going to come with, Key? And so mm. that pressure, without them actually applying the pressure, it really yeah. was a healthy thing for me. So that's how it has shaped and molded me. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And you talk about pressure, right? And I think that's an interesting context. Part of the story, and I think you were going to get into this in terms of where you're from, is not just a matter of of city, but who you're from. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that. So there are two sides to me. My father is from a lineage of preachers, and he's also Mm. a stickler of education. So he has his master's in mathematics, and my grandfather had his associates to his master's, and they were both educators and teachers. They were advocates of, yes, there's a such thing as ministry, but make sure you have an educated approach. And not only that, but you're not just letting your light shine in the pulpit, but even when you go to your job, you're letting your light, you know, shine in that space to where your education takes you to a different table. 
So that's part of where I'm from. And then you got the whole preaching thing. Like they are churchmen. They love the Lord. Then mm -hmm. my mom, she is a praying woman. And then she's this queen of a musician coming from the legacy of the Clark sisters. Even to speak of pressure of the city and Motown, that's the yeah. pressure that I come from, from my parents. My mother too, though, she is not one that's caught up in the hype of the spotlight. She's very right. focused. You know how you got a lot of people who say, oh, I believe God and I'm a gospel singer, right. but not everybody lives the life. I can mm. say that Karen Clark Sheard, she minds her business. She's a praying woman <laughs> and she lives the life. I like to call her a quiet storm because a lot right. of people are like, oh, she's so sweet. She's Karen mm. and she was the youngest, but now she can come with the heat too. And that's both in vocals <laughs> and in personality. Right. And I want to talk about that for a second. And just for scale, when you mentioned your dad was a bishop, just for context, he's the presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ, 8.8 .8 million people in a denomination. So that's some weight behind that title. On your mother's side, like you mentioned, the Clark sisters who are gospel royalty, but not just gospel royalty. I mean, one of the things that's unique is that they're probably the only group that I know of that have been around for this many decades mm -hmm. and still producing music. Mm -hmm. What people don't realize oftentimes that gospel music, you can't talk about R&B, you can't talk about soul music, you can't talk about hip hop or jazz without talking about the centrality. And, and in the Clark Sisters, you see a embodiment and a key moment and all of those different things yeah. coming together yeah. in one thing. How did you see that growing up? Right. So I, you know, I talked about that maybe from a historical or a sociological standpoint, yeah. just from a musical standpoint, when did you realize that your mom, your aunties and your Nana were a big deal musically? When did you first realize that? That's such a good question. I think I first realized it when some of my favorite, because you know how you're in your home. I think we all do that with our parents. It's like, even with the advice that they give, we're like, hey, what do you think about this? Or we won't even go to our parents because for some reason we just minimize the wisdom that they have and the things that they know. And mm. so it was the same for me. It was like, oh, that's just mom. Okay, great. Got it. But it hit home when I was in school and people were coming up to me saying like, hey, I saw your mom or Missy Elliott mentioned your mom's name or, you know, stuff like that. Or Beyonce mentioned your mom's name or Mariah Carey mentioned your mom's name. And here I am while they are absolutely, they've been huge inspirations to me. But here I am falling out over them and not really paying attention to who I come from in my home. Mm. Again, my favorite singers are mentioning my mommy, you know? <laughs> so that was when it was like, okay, this is this is something special. Or even when there was a high school that I wanted to go to in the city of Detroit, it's the Detroit School of Performing Arts. They, you know, study the history of music and all of that. And one of my friends that went there shined a light on your grandmother was a part of creating, you know, three part harmony for the choirs. And then I'm like, what? I, you know, it's just certain things that didn't hit until I had somebody else tell me that's unfortunate. But once mm. I got it, you better believe I was like, oh, this is where I'm from. Okay. I, I'm owning it. So that was the, I guess, the epiphany for me. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's funny because, you know, like I remember watching Shaq's kind of reality show 
And, you know, his six-year-old could care less that he was Shaquille O'Neal. It was just, <laughs> this is just some big man I get to play with. You right. know what I mean? And so I know that even though from the outside looking in, people are like, oh, my gosh, your parents. And you're just like, that's just mom. Right. That's just auntie. So it's kind of interesting. At one point, you go, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. They're not just this. It's actually significant Absolutely. in some big ways. So I'm curious because I think, you know, sometimes people can look at someone who's a pastor's kid or you know, their parents are in the ministry and just kind of go, oh, well, they're just doing that because their parents mm-hmm. are. But I know from my own experience, as well as others and working with young people around me, that mm-hmm. there is a moment, there is a point oftentimes when the faith becomes your own right. and it becomes, you know, something real. So you have this song, Kill the Dragon, that is just this incredibly powerful ballad and it paints this very vivid picture. You talked about Goshen. Yeah. Girl, that song painted a picture of the entire like creation, fall, redemption, <laughs> you know, story. But it says, kill the dragon, save the girl. Yeah. When would you say you first experienced that aspect of being the girl that was saved yeah. and, and experiencing Jesus' love? Ooh. First, let me give a shout out to the writers of that song, that yeah. Justin Brooks and I think Vincent Berry. And yep. that's the kind of writing I want to do. But uh, to answer your question, uh, I would say I, I experienced, well, throughout my life, obviously, but I think one moment is really me grasping, and I talk about it in the book, when I was in a relationship and I wasn't living by God's way, you know, I was mm-hmm. kind of dibbling, I'll be honest, I was dibbling in fornication, and at some point I began to really just get hard on myself and I started learning the difference between conviction and condemnation. And what I was experiencing was condemnation. Like I was thinking about suicide because I'm like, this struggle is just so hard. It was more than just a struggle. It had everything to do with the connection and and me not understanding some things about myself that the Lord had been trying to reveal to me. So it was almost like once I stepped out of the situation and said, you know what, God, okay, I'm going to finally give it to you. And I learned that, oh, conviction points to the problem, but it gives you a solution. Condemnation only points to the problem and have you to go crazy. And Mm. so that was a redeeming experience for me because with me understanding that, I was then able to identify why I wasn't able to progress. And, you know, the world looks at it as, a rehabilitation way of getting through things, but this was my deliverance. And it was Mm. me understanding that the Lord wants you to have answers. And he says, where you are weak, I am strong. So how do I tap into that strength? That was my experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I told you I went into the crates, right? You had a song, Snap. Yes. In which these were the lyrics. Sounds like the Clark sisters. I know what you're saying. I don't look like Twinkie. Yes. My name is Kiara, not Karen. Such a big responsibility to carry on this family legacy. Everything ain't perfect, y'all. Yes. <laughs> you taking it back. <laughs> I am. So here's the interesting thing about that. How old were you when you did your first album? Oh, man. I don't remember. I think I was 15. Yeah. So let's say you were 15. But that wasn't even your debut, you know, in terms of on the recording album. Yes. (laughs) How old were you when you debuted? Wait, when I debuted, I was nine years old. And then, yeah, I was 14 or 15. I think I was a sophomore in high school when I did my first record. And that was Snap. So nine when I did my debut with my mom. And yeah, it was just up from there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's amazing. And and when you say up from there, I mean, literally 
got a stellar award for best children's performance. Yeah. Do you remember getting that award? I do remember. Of course, they did it at like the pre-show or something. So I got remember it, yeah. that I was away and they were like, hey, you got the choice award. <laughs> but I remember. Right. <laughs> and I was really yeah. excited for sure. Right. So the other thing that's pretty amazing is that on that first album, first song written by Erica Campbell, mm-hmm. Dark Child produced. Yeah. And then many of the songs written by Jay Moss, your cousin. Yeah. Those are some amazing artists to be able to get to work with at such a young age. What was that like for you to be able to be around such, you know, dynamic and gifted artists? It was absolutely amazing. Having that opportunity, it definitely kind of opened my eyes to see their character and how they were open to working with other people. A lot of times I would be a little intimidated to walk in some rooms with certain creatives because I just didn't think that I had it. And so to be at that age where I was able to sit at the feet or just have the opportunity to work with these legends and these creatives who have just worked through the years, it was an eye opener and then even speaking of like how humble they were and how open they were to even me being a young mind it wasn't like we gonna shut you away and you don't know nothing they Mm. were respecting the fact that you know it doesn't matter how old you are you can still have an anointing and be appointed for a certain time and I saw that not just by how they moved but with their spirit and Mm. I know I was young but I was a young person who was like oh I'm going on a fast on this day or I'm so I was still kind of picking up on some things you know, and of course, there are some things I would do differently by maturity, but it was really special. Diane Warren, how cool she was and the legend that she is, it definitely opened my eyes to be humble. Because you know how sometimes we be like, oh, I made it, I arrived, and we'll be super arrogant. And it's like, you ain't did half of what Diane Warren did. So it was mm. definitely an eye-opener. And with that eye-opener, that the release of that first project, I Owe You, you became the first new artist in Billboard history to debut at number one on the gospel albums. Yes. Right. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm so excited. You know, it's a blessing to have people around you that will make sure you see what God is doing in your life while you try to yeah. be modest. And so my brother was yes. like, I'm ordering all these plaques for you. So I got like 12 number one plaques. And I'm like, I didn't even mm-hmm. know I had this. So shout yeah. out to my brother, J. Drew Shear for making me see what God has done. Yeah, and that's another interesting dynamic of the collaboration is that it's not just been with your parents or your aunts, but you have co-written and he's produced a lot of songs over the years, over decades with your brother. Tell me a little bit about that relationship and that bond, professionally and personally. Yes, and that's also a part of where I'm from, who I'm from. (laughs) That's my first best friend, my first music collaboration, my first fight. He was just my G. Of course, we have the Sybil rivalries, if you allow me to say that where we like bumping heads. But I think what J. Drew and I have developed amongst each other is respecting each other. So mm-hmm. my brother is really special. I doubt my melodies for a song. And J. Drew is like, I know you can write better. So he'll send me him singing something like, oh, this is how I want it to go. And then I'm writing to it. And so it's almost like I have developed and mastered a skill with my brother. So I could go on and on about that because I love him so much. Mm. But that's it in a nutshell. That's great. And he's, is he your younger brother? He is my younger brother who acts like he's older than me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they yes. always? I'm going to move on from music for a second, but I do want to ask you this, right? Because there's a song on Kiara, the new mm-hmm. project, My Redeemer, yeah. with Leandria Johnson, yes. which is ridiculous. Thank you. I mean, 
jazz, gospel, scats, growls, and all the innovation that the Clark sisters were known yeah. for and even seemed to invoke the song My Redeemer Liveth. You mentioned at the end of the song that it was a dream. That's kind of as it fades out, you say this was a dream. Why was doing that song a dream? Because it was one of my favorite Clark Sister songs. And my Aunt Dorinda and my mother, uh, I don't know if you like YouTube some videos, you'll see my mom doing like the headbanger on one of her songs. I think it was uh, like Bomb and Gilead or something. So they've been the inspiration to show me that gospel, and not that it has been, but gospel doesn't have to be boring. And while I was young, sometimes I would look to R&B or pop, and then my mom and my aunt would do these things where they would make the crowd be all into it, and it'll be a fun experience. It wasn't always mm. just a slow song. And Redeemer Liveth was one of those songs where Auntie Dorinda would do like the running man, Joe picked it, and she would freeze as if she was like doing Michael Jackson moves. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is gospel? That was one of the songs that I began practicing my audacity when it came to me singing gospel mm. music. And so that's why it was a dream for me. That's a good word for audacity. Yeah. All right, here's the other part uh, in a song called It Keeps yeah. Happening. You seem to allude to having almost had to wrestle with having some guilt mm -hmm. in the past over your success or over your heritage or your legacy. Maybe even some people have resentment toward it that you were dealing with. Tell us about that. Not everyone is like thrilled to see someone come from this position and have all of that support mm -hmm. around. And, and it seems like that's something that you've had to wrestle with even being comfortable with yeah. yourself. I don't even know how to answer that question. I've never been asked that. But the truth of the matter is I have had to wrestle with it, but I have come to a place where that's actually how God designed it. He's all about family. Yeah. That was the whole point of it. There were some moments where I tried to do it without consulting with my family and I mm. felt weak without them. And that's just as simple as calling my dad or calling my mom, like, hey, what you think about this? I know I've said it a few times, but the village is not just for the child, it's for the adult too. So don't feel bad about that. But did you feel pressure at different points in terms of who your folks were and tell me a little bit about what that might have looked like for you. For sure. The way they sing, the way they do things, what they have mm. accomplished. I was the young girl, you know, coming out and of course people were like, okay, are you going to sing like Twinkie, Karen, Dorinda, Jackie, which one? You going to preach like your dad? What is it? You know, so that was the kind of pressure and that's what it looked like for me. Yeah. I'm also curious about when you talk about this journey that you've been on, you know, you used to go by Kiki in your yeah. first couple albums. And now it's Kiera, yes. right? That's literally the name of the last album. What does the transition from Kiki to Kiera symbolize? The transition symbolizes, like I was telling you, and I think I've kind of said it a few times in our conversation, things that insinuated growth or maturity. Mm -hmm. It literally was me going from not only being able to sing to your youth department or your youth ministry, to now I can sing to the full congregation. And that's not by me, that is just by what God has given me. That's why mm -hmm. I was like, hey, I wanna change it because when I would go out, they would always put me to the young people. And for a long time, I kind of felt like there was like a disconnect because I was figuring out some things and it's just a matter of growth growth and that's a powerful thing i know what it's like to grow up in a family and i'm the youngest yes. 
and then they just always kind of pigeonhole you as the youngest like they'll still bring up the stuff you did when you were yeah. six and you're like when you 36 it's like come on i'm like that was three decades yeah. ago but in a sense it's almost like you had a whole church and community <laughs> that you know grew up and saw you in that yeah. way so i can only imagine the way that that was hard to break out and to get into a space where it's like yeah. i've evolved i've grown i've yes. developed that is where i think big bold and beautiful really kind of fills in some of that gap of that that journey one of the things that was very powerful to me ab about it is that uh, there's a chapter in the book where you talk about when you started to notice that all of your album covers in the beginning were close-ups mm -hmm. what were you told when you were asked why tell us about that situation well one of the experiences where i had on this dope outfit and you know how timberlands are in the culture it's like the thing to wear and so i thought that it would be dope to see a black girl a big girl wearing dope timberlands it would just seal the deal it was just you know i don't know how more to explain you get it from there yeah and my thighs were big i kind of was just chilling on the car they were just like no this is this is not it and then there was another picture so i think we did use that one for something but i think i was still cropped that was it. And I was like, well, I want to use this picture. And they were like, well, you look like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Like, we got some reviews and a few of the representatives from the team, they said that you look like the Pillsbury Doughboy. And so I just never forgot that. I think I was told that in like 18 or 22 or something like that. So it kind of stung for me because it came from someone that I kind of was like trusting to not just be a business rep with me, but a little deeper. But that's what it was. And I began then speaking up like, okay, no, you're not going to cut off what is me so that it's good for what you think is imagery because there's someone that can relate to this. Yeah, no, that first of all, that's just so appalling to hear. And especially as a, a young woman, especially in a Christian environment, right? You're mm -hmm. making like, you know, music to inspire. And you go through this journey where you say in the back of the book, it's time to embrace what makes you you because what the world sees as a negative, God makes into a positive. And yeah. you start talking about, body positivity and just starting to embrace all of who you were. What did that journey look like? That journey looked like going from moments like that to uh, poor relationship choices, being cheated on, being played, me once upon a time, comparing myself to the other woman. That's a chapter in the book to stop comparing yourself to the other woman. And then it's another chapter that goes beyond the other woman. And it's just like, stop comparing yourself to the old you. Appreciate where you've come from or stop being so hard on yourself. So that journey looked like me accepting some truths about myself and not playing victim in every space, but also owning, these are some choices you made. That was the bed that you had to lay in. And you made that bed. Nobody else, take up your bed. <laughs> and walk it literally but it was me just saying okay I own these things and I say that in the book owning the woman God made you to be but again even like we were talking about in the deliverance process or the rehabilitation process the only way to progress and get rid of an addiction or a bad habit is for you to admit that it was there and so literally I started losing the weight and I started just changing my circle, not feeling bad for speaking up for myself, not expecting anyone else to speak up for me. And if I did have people around me who was always silent, I made changes with that. But it was also me being very prayerful and diving in deeper spiritually. So inspirational in so many different ways with that. One of the things that strikes me about your art, about your writing, is your incredibly 
honest authenticity. Mm-hmm. One would think if they just looked at the stats and go, daughter of a bishop of a major black denomination, <laughs> daughter of a legendary gospel group in the Christian world, mm-hmm. that's probably someone whose book is going to be pretty fluff and not go with any areas <laughs> of self-disclosure and being transparent. Mm-hmm. That ain't this. <laughs> this yeah. book, you, I was like, oh, she going there. <laughs> Like, how did you get to the place of comfort of telling your story? And why do you think that's so important to do? Yeah, I think it's just a part of the freedom that I've gained with the Lord. And remember, I was telling you about the whole difference in me realizing the difference between condemnation and conviction. And I'm like, oh, you know, okay, well, if God's saying he forgive me, then who cares about what anybody else is trying to hold over my head? And so I think that is one thing for me. And it, and it says, the word says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and I will give you rest. I have rest from what happened and I'm totally moving forward. And so I'm really excited. It liberates me to continue to evolve because I'm proud of my yes that I've given the Lord. And it's really transforming me. It's still transforming me. But I think also what has caused me to be so free is I remember other people telling me their stories, like other leaders and inspiration sharing their stories. One other thing that I've learned is that my mom shared with me, Kiara, if you keep the bandage over a wound, then it won't heal. If you keep exchanging the bandage and you keep taking baths and things like that, it's going to get soggy. It won't heal properly. And so she told me the first thing that will heal the wound sometimes is oxygen. So release it. And so I'm just letting the oxygen and letting God breathe in my life out. And and that's amazing. And the fact that the folks that you would think would be the biggest gatekeepers to saying don't expose these aspects are the ones that are actually encouraging you to, you know, appropriately share with the world your own process for your healing. Absolutely. When we come back, Kiara Sheard Kelly will share with us more about the lessons God continued to teach her and can teach us about loving ourselves and how she produced an album, wrote a book, and got married all at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's coming up after the break on Where You're From. If you're enjoying Where You're From, would you take a moment to write a quick review and give us some stars? Podcast platforms like iTunes and Google promote highly rated shows. So a one-sentence review of what this episode or show means to you and a quick five-star rating will help these important stories reach more people. Thank you for your help and keep listening for more of Where You're From. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Hey friends, my name is Mary Jo Clark and I'm one of the producers for Where You From. Before we jump back into our conversation with Kiara Sheard Kelly, I wanted to share a quick teaser from our next episode with the Kemeni Uwan. This is Where You From. I did take in those messages, so I, I, I wasn't immune, you know, to white supremacy. I just, after a while, you just begin to believe it. Like, right. maybe I'm not attractive. Maybe I am ugly. I mean, there was a lot of self-hate for me, hating my dark skin. Um, to the point where I started bleaching my skin. 
early. Yeah. So I mm. so I did it in um I want to say about freshman and sophomore year for like a year, maybe about a year or two, mm. you know, thinking that man, light equals pretty. Mm. Like you know, in my own mind, I will be prettier if I am lighter. Sadly, it's something. It was a common, very uh, practice very um, common among yeah that blew Africans. me away when i listened to that episode oh, on Trish 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 yeah, oh, you said yeah. something like over 70 percent of african women mm-hmm. uh, bleach mm-hmm. their skin yes. with very disastrous health consequences yes yes you go to the beauty supply you'll see those light those lightning products right here in philly you're listening to where you're from i'm Russell berry here's a quick reminder that the show notes are located in the podcast description the show notes contain links to learn more about Kiera, listen to her music, and order her book, Big, Bold, and Beautiful. Just copy the link in the podcast description and paste it in your browser. Or simply visit whereyou'refrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from, dot Now let's get back into Where You're From with Kiera Shear Kelly. One of the songs that has just been riveting, Something Has to Break. Yeah. Right? I mean, you and Tasha Kyle Leonard, these colossus of vocal ridiculousness, right? Yeah. What inspired that song? Because that sounds like one of them songs where you go, Something Has to Break. And it's like, there's a story behind that song. Yeah. I did. It keeps happening. And Something Has to Break just kind of connects with that. And it's on the same record. So it keeps happening. The Lord had me to stop seeing other people, to see what he was doing in my life, and to see the reasons behind the things that were happening, like even the waiting season. And so while I was in the waiting season, while God had me writing a declaration to say, hey, start speaking the things that you want and stop looking and becoming miserable about the things that you see happening in everybody else's life. Mm. And so because of the declaration that he had given me, I was confirmed and affirmed that something was going to break. And so I wanted to encourage someone else that say, hey, I know you got some worries and I know it seems like a cycle of damaging things happening in your life. But if you're saying that you serve this God who is a bliss to be with, then you got to know that something's got to break. It can't stay like this all the time because he's not a deadbeat father. He's a father who wants good for his children. That's so good. And so like the painful cycles that someone's experienced, the generational cycles that something has to break because if God is involved, then that got you, got you. Going back to the book, Big, Bold and Beautiful, it's interesting because they're called chapters, but they almost are like some part devotional, some part little bit of Bible study, some part little biography. It's a mixture and it's practical too. Like, you know, if you get into finances, you get into relationships. Why the title? What is Big, Bold and Beautiful mean to you? My big may not be your big. Mine's was weight for me. That was an insecurity. And sometimes my big mouth. But it could be whatever your insecurity is. So it could be the big feet. It could be the big eyes, the big nose, or the big personality where people make you feel bad about these things because of us comparing it to what culture says is beautiful. And so I'm taking that big. And it came from an experience where one of the guys that I dated, the the last thing that he could say to me was, you are big fat so-and-so it broke me because I didn't expect it but it happened another time from someone else that I was dating and I was like you know what this is all y'all got 
This all you can say to me. And I felt good that that was all that you could say because that speaks volumes of my character. It speaks volumes of what's on the inside of me. And obviously, if you can only speak to how big I am, how wide I am, that's it. And, and so I wrote in the book too that though I am not your cup of tea, that doesn't say that I'm not a cup of tea. That's what I'm hoping that people get from this book. And that is to not stop because one person say you ain't it. It's a world that waits for you. And whatever your big is, embrace that and be bold about it. And I became bold about it. And now I have a clothing line for curvy women. I'm an advocate for body positivity and health. And that's what big, bold and beautiful is all about. Own it. That is great. And I love that sense of owning it. So what has been the reception to this message? They are loving it, bro. And I love that they are loving it because it encourages me. Because while I can be big and bold, sometimes I get in my mind. And sometimes I'll doubt that, oh, the Lord did give this to me to release to the world. It really is blessing me to see that people are messaging me, DMing me, and posting on their social media like, this chapter hit home. It made me cry. Girl, I didn't know that I could read a book and feel like I'm having a revival. So those are the reviews. And I'm seeing too that a lot of young women, like even in my mentorship group, some of them would come in with all black clothes. And now I see them wearing more vibrant colors. So as long as people are grabbing a hold of the gospel and getting closer to Jesus, that's my ultimate goal. I don't know why I just got emotional, but that's my ultimate goal because the picture and the agenda, the assignment is way bigger than this life. We know that as believers, it's the life that you live after this one. And I want to hear a well done, my good and faithful servant. So if that means I'm pouring out the gallon and nothing's left, then I'm going to give everything I got. Man, it's so rich because, I mean, one, for you to just own it from jump, like in the title of the book, you're like, this is my story. This is my journey. And I love it is in and of itself a, a powerful statement. But then Mm -hmm. beyond that, it relates to so much more than just the one particular issue that was your big. And the other thing is big. I love how you flip even the word, which could have been used as a negative to a positive. You know, it reminds me, oh, the poet Walt Whitman said, I am large. I contain multitudes. Yes. And when I listen to your music, when I see all that you got going on on YouTube and all, you know, the videos and the books, you contain multitudes of ideas, of inspiration. That's what's up. And here's the thing. One of the things I love about reading the book and just your whole approach is that you quote a lot of Proverbs and Proverbs Mm -hmm. is a book of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And the wisdom aspect of the faith is one that sometimes gets undervalued because it's not the super spiritual aspect, but it's just the idea that God is involved in every aspect of our life, whether that Mm -hmm. is finances, nutrition, what we wear, Mm -hmm. what we write. Mm -hmm. In a sense, it's like you seem to be a lifestyle brand, Mm -hmm. not just a gospel artist. How do you see fashion, nutrition, music, writing as spiritual? Ooh, such a good question. So when I lost uh 100 pounds, I didn't gain some of it back. I ain't going to lie to you. But <laughs> I lost 100 pounds my first time when I was like, okay, I'm getting ready to shut it down. And that's when I had gone deeper. And I was reading a book by Pastor Rick Warren. One of the things that he said was, the way you feed your temple is a part of your worship. 
and he had scriptures to back that up. And I was just like, oh, okay. Because I would go and sing and I would be praying like, Lord, I would expect him to do something just in that moment to where now I'm just going out to sing and it's literally just the life that you live that comes off your relationship, your everyday investment that you put into your relationship with him. That's what comes alive when you go and sing. It's not just, okay, he going to hit you this moment. He may not hit you that moment. It's, no, if you walking with him every day, then he got you. And so that's when I've learned that those things, like you said, it's a lifestyle. It comes together. So music, clothes everything, all of that, things that are edifying for God's people. My father often teaches me that ministry is not a spotlight thing. It's you meeting the needs of the people. And if we dive into God's word, he talks mostly about being a servant, not the celebrity. That's why the whole lifestyle piece, that's just me living my life and finding ways to serve other people. Uh, So good. One of the things that I also wanted to briefly bring up is so clear as I listen to your music, watch your videos, read the book, that family means so much. I mean, you got your brother doing the production, you got, you know, stuff with your mom and you dedicate the book to Nana among others, but who was clearly someone that impacted your life. And you even kind of dedicated a chapter uh, to that. Tell us about your relationship with your (laughs) Nana. So my Nana, she just passed away. Nana was my father's mother and my grandmother that I called grandma was my mother's mother. That's Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. So it's Willie Mae Sheard and Maddie Moss Clark, whom both had a huge impact on my life. Nana was the one that I was able to spend more time with. Nana, she was so special. She was so special. She was my best friend. The best girlfriend conversations where I would leave the conversation and have so much wisdom. I'm looking at a picture of her. I miss her so much. She would come in and I told the story about, I said, Nana, today is a cheat day. She said, you look like a cheat day. You can't have no more cheat days. (laughs) Yo, I put the book down. I was cracking up and I was (laughs) cracking up because you were like, that was hilarious. The fact that you thought it was hilarious made it even funny. Yes. Nana taught me to have tough skin. And one thing that a lot of people kind of misunderstood about her, which I don't think she cared because she was one, a shining example of, I'm not living this life for you. I'm living this life for Jesus. Like one of the things she said to me before she left is, child, the only thing I haven't seen is Jesus. And that is, you know, in human form. I said that too. But just her boldness, I could go on and on about the lessons that she's given me. But even that part about worship and lifestyle, that question you asked, she was another shining example about minding your business. I'm going to tell it like it is. And the truth will set you free. But one other scripture that she often said was, baby, I pray your faith fails you not. And I just thought that that was an understanding that you must have, because if it fails you, then what will you have? And so, yeah, I could go on, so I'll stop there. No, that's so good. One of the things that was so moving about that was the fact that you lost her in the midst of a pandemic. And I I didn't get all the details, but I know because I also lost my grandmother in the midst of this year, uh, that it was very heartbreaking to not have the type of time and proper goodbyes and conversations. What was it like for you to lose her in the midst of this unique season? I was actually doing my like weekly checkup where I just drop in on my grandmother and my grandfather. And it goes to show why worship should be a lifestyle because the Lord will lead you and you not even know why he's leading you there, why that's in your schedule. But I dropped in and they were really sick. 
I was like, uncle, let's call one of the doctors. And my uncle was doing everything. Shout out to my uncle, Ethan. He's been a pillar and just taking care of both of them. And my father has done his work as well. But on this day, Uncle Ethan was there fixing the sandwich for them. Nana was in the bed, and it was a different kind of sickness. But I'm saying all of that to say that was my last goodbye to her, and I had the chance to take them to the hospital. While I wasn't able to be in the hospital with her, I felt like the Lord gave me an opportunity to say bye. And so I had gotten COVID. I laugh at it now because I have peace. But I laugh at it now because... I got COVID because Nana coughed on me while I was putting on her socks. It was just like a <laughs> like a hard cough. To answer your question, it was hard, but there was a peace that I had because you know how our seasoned saintly family members would say things like, child, I'm ready to get up out of here. I didn't have enough. And it's almost like they have an understanding that I've done my job. It's well, and it is well with my soul. And that was something that my Nana just exemplified through the days that she lived. I know my Nana knew about dominion and having dominion over death. And I think that with that understanding and all of the pain that she had gone through, she was just over it. Baby, I know what's going to happen. And the crazy thing is, bro, when I woke her up, she said, uh, Kiera, I just had a dream of you in a white, beautiful dress. This was before I got married. I'm getting chills talking about it. You know how I would say, I just wish she could have saw this. I wish she could have seen this. The Lord allowed her to see things because of the relationship and the insight that she had. My so. goodness. Wow. And that's such a sweet gift that the Lord gave her to be able to essentially see your wedding. You yeah. know, no, that's beautiful. One of the things that was so moving and touching was the way that you talked about the process, it was almost this aspect of redemption and restoration mm -hmm. in the courting process, you know, uh, engagement and marriage. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that and why you found so much more than just a boo. You know what I mean? Mm. I found so much more than just a boo because I could just tell that there was a desperation and a chase after God on him. And it was attractive. Like, so he was already fine, but it was just this chase for God that was like, oh my God, I got to know what he about. So I had secretly told his sister-in-law and I was like, please don't tell him. She told him anyway. And then when we started dating, I saw how consistent he was where in the book I talked about how I experienced a lot of ghosts in relationship, quote unquote, if you know what I mean. My husband, while we were dating, the things that other people would say was so complicated for them to deal with. Jordan was just like, this is all easy. Like you are not complicated at all. And I'm like, wow. So it was literally me just asking pint fillers to fill my gallon when they just couldn't do it. And my husband is like, no, I can measure up to that. But that was what had me to choose this choice or to make this decision. And the thing that I could relate to it so much, because I had my journey of making the wrong decisions and doing it the wrong way. Isn't it funny when you just decide to finally give up and let God do it his way yeah. that he brings the right person, even when you ain't looking for it? Like, just right. when you're content, just when you're like, you know what, I'm just going to do me. God's yeah. like, now I can work with you. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what I did. I was like, you know what? I'm going to chill out. I was focused. I was working. Absolutely. I agree with you. But I let God do his thing. Yes. That's so real. Well, you wrote the peace and quiet confidence I have discovered to be the one and only big and bold Kiara Sheard in this process is everything. Embrace your big, 
be bold about it and know that God's beauty and glory rest on you. Mm-hmm. What does it look like for people to embrace their big? I just want to say to be big, bold and beautiful and owning the woman or the man that God has called you to be is simply you just resting in that liberty that heaven gives you and that he authorizes you with, like allowing you to walk the earth with that. And it is the confidence that you move knowing that I may not have all the answers in the future, but I have the pictures in part. And that's what owning it looks like. Hopefully that settled it. Kiara Shear Kelly is such an inspiration for us to remember to embrace who God made us to be. We can all embrace our big, our bold, and our beautiful when we remember that we were made in the image of God for a purpose. You're listening to Where You're From. I'm Russell Berry. Make sure to check out the show notes in the podcast description to learn more about Kiara, listen to her music, and order her book, Big, Bold, and Beautiful. Just copy the link in the podcast description and paste it in your browser or visit whereyou'refrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from, dot O-R-G. I'm Russell Berry reminding you that it's not just about where you're at. It's also about where you're from. This show was produced by Ryan Clevenger, Mary Jo Clark, Daniel Ryan Day, and Jade Gustafson and was engineered by Gabrielle Bauer. I also want to give a quick shout out to Joyce and Dave for their help in supporting and promoting where you're from. Thanks, y'all. Where You're From is part of the Voices Collection from Our Daily Bread Ministries. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.